I hope everyone has had a, a good holiday season, time celebrating Christmas with your family. I hope you had a good week in between, as well as uh, spending uh, the new year with hopefully friends and family, uh, enjoying the day. It's been cold, it's been rainy a little bit, uh, but it's, it's definitely been, been good. I guess winter's finally come upon us, maybe. Who knows, probably tomorrow it'll be 85 degrees. We'll go ahead and copy, get those, get those questions down if you need to go ahead and, and do that. They're there for you. So we are in our last sermon in Ephesians for at least a, for a little bit. Um, and then we will uh, we'll be transitioning. So starting next week, we have a, a series on, on prayer that will, that will go through January, um, being led by uh, Pastor Bill. And I hope that you have been thinking about that, praying about that, considering that. Um, I'm very excited about it and uh, praying for, for him and also humbled by it. And um, looking forward to, to that to that time, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking as well on what we'll be doing after that, coming starting in February. Um, so we'll we'll talk about that uh, in the next in the next coming weeks. So please do not miss uh, miss out on that. This emphasis on on prayer and the impact of prayer in the church. Uh, and so I'm really excited about it. And like I said, I'm real excited for all of us as we. We, we go through this. So this is, this is actually sermon, I went back and counted, this is actually sermon number 40 in, in Ephesians. Uh, and so um, you guys made it right, <laughs> right there at the end, right? You made it. Um, and so it's sermon number 40. I, I can't believe it's been that long. It's t- taken almost all, all year. Of course, we, we started a little bit in the middle of January. Uh, we had a few things interrupt us in the, in the middle couple of, uh, I guess, holidays. We had a baby, so I was out a couple weeks, so we, we took some time off there. But we've, we've made it to sermon number 40, finishing up, up Ephesians. And, and I wanted to say that to, to you all, not, not a sense of, of boasting in, uh, look, we can, look how many sermons we can preach in Ephesians, because I know there's m- people have done more. Uh, but I only say that to you all because I want to commend you as a church on, on your listening. Clearly, we're missing a lot of people today. Uh, but just commend you on, on your listening. Um, this past year, we read a, a book. It's back on our table, and it's free to those who haven't read it yet. Um, what is a healthy church member? And the first mark of a healthy church member is being a good expositional listener. Okay? So without me telling you what that chapter is, uh, what I want to say is, is that that is what we've been doing. That is what we're, we're cultivating, and that is what God has been doing in our midst. It's what God has been doing in, in, in your life and in your heart in the midst of sitting down for at least a solid year and, and listening to sermons back-to-back, one right after another, um, exposing and pulling out and unpacking the, the text of, of Ephesians. And so I, I want you just to kind of take a moment and, and not marvel in you, but marvel in God. Marvel in his grace that he's, he's starting to, uh, uh, I guess, fertilize and bring growth into the, the seeds of, of, of being able to have the ears to hear his word uh, week in, week out, faithfully preached and exposited uh, for, for you and, and rightly uh, uh, applied. Now, of course, we're sitting back going, I don't know how good of a listener I really was. I can't remember what you might have said through two weeks ago. But we trust in the sufficiency of, of God's Word. And we trust in the sufficiency of God's Word that it is by His grace that He is working each week to bring about maturity in us. And which, which we saw, that is one of the, the great purposes and intent of Ephesians as we've been walking through it, is to bring maturity in the gospel for the church so that we would be maturing uh, t- together, that we would be uh, maturing not only as individuals, but maturing uh, together to be strengthened and to be fashioned into the image of his son. And so I wanted to encourage you all in that today, because particularly on this day, being, being the, the New Year's apostrophe S day, that, that we're told and we're shown on TV and commercials, and, and there's this kind of this cultural itch about us that we've got to get things right. 
uh, that there's this many things wrong with me, including maybe Bible reading or being a better listener or reading or praying or whatever it may be, or maybe it's diet or change our food or, or, or what we wear or how we present ourselves or how we speak, whatever it may be. We have this itch about us that we need to get things right. Like, and, so, so, and so I want, I want us to just kind of sit back a little bit and, and just rest in the fact that God's grace is working in our midst. And it's a slow work. That, is, that it is slow. So that, that itch about you that you may think, I need to read my Bible more, and that you're, you may be absolutely right, but I want you to just rest in God's grace this morning as we close Ephesians. That we would be encouraged in, in the gospel, in, in his word, that we would be encouraged by his word to the, to the church to get our eyes off of ourselves and to look to him. So, what, so it's, truthfully, if you've been around for those messages, I've been saying the same thing every week. Look to him. Look to Christ. Look to, to His grace. Look to Him. And so as we finish this morning, I have, I have two goals. I have two goals as we, as we look at our passage this morning and as we, kind of, as we consider Ephesians as a, as a whole. There's number one, I want to preach this final passage, and we'll do that with the same intent that, that we see Paul sending this man named Tychius to do. It gives news about who Paul is and also to encourage the church. And my second goal is that at the end, I'm, I'm going to preach abbreviated today. I'm going to try. At the end, the second half of our time, I, I want us, and I have a few that are going to read for us, and we are going to read the book entirely together. Six chapters. Now, I, I sat down this week, and it took me just under 20 minutes to read, to read the whole entire book. Now, this isn't part of my sermon, so I'm going to look at my notes. I thought about that for a second. What are some of the things that I do in my life that takes 20 minutes? A TV episode, take out commercials, now Netflix, right, is 21 minutes and 40-something seconds long, give or take. And we don't have time to what? Okay, just wanted to say that because that was something that hit me, right? So, we're gonna, so those are my two goals. We're going to preach this final passage. We're going to unpack it together. And then we're going to, to read it together. So we are going to start off reading the Ephesians 6, verse, starting in verse 21. So to come up on the screen, open your Bibles, look at that in verse 21. And here's what it says, starting in verse 21 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. So that you also, you the church, also may know how I am, he's talking about Paul, how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I just want to stop for just one second because uh, we have this new character that's being presented to us, a man named Tychius, and he has actually mentioned in the Bible four other times in the New Testament Pretty important character, right? But he serves along with, with Paul. And so, so they don't get text messages. They don't get news. You can't go to their website and check, check Paul's blog to see how he is and where he's at. There's no GPS tracker. Find my friend for him. It's months and months and years and years that churches that, that he has planted and set and has been with, including with uh, uh, the church in Ephesus where he spent three years they probably hadn't heard from him in years. And finally, here comes Tychius. They, they knew to bring news about their beloved apostle, Paul. So here's, here's Tychius coming to, uh, coming to the church to tell them, how is Paul? Is he even alive? Is he around? Where, 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 I mean, you literally can say, where in the world is he? Uh, he's, well, when I left him six months ago, he was in Rome. He was in Philippi, or Colossae. He's still in prison. But he writes to you. He writes to you to, to, encourage, to encourage you to not only know how I am doing, but also that he may encourage your hearts. To encourage our hearts. Look at verse 23. 
peace be to the brothers. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, it's, it's common, many letters, Paul ends many of his letters this way, and he addresses particular people like we just mentioned, Tychius, but he also addresses the church in sort of a, an exhortation, a, a blessing, an encouragement at, at the end. And, and a lot of times, if you really, we kind of want to skim past that because we're ready to be done with the book in a sense and reading it. And, and But we, what we miss here is in the, the wealth of these words and the way that these words are being brought together is it should bubble back up for us what we've been learning over these last 40 sermons and, and all those, those chapters previously. Look at these Look at these words, peace, love, faith, grace, unity, right? He's talking about unity in the church. He's talking about Jesus Christ, God the Father, all themes that have been flowing throughout Ephesians. Remember these things. So this, this blessing is not just something empty. It's not just a, 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 a ending to a letter, a salutation at the, at the end, a sincerely. It's, it's based in what he has been addressing all along, that he wants them to be at peace, that exhibit genuine love and faith that only comes from God the Father. Right, we've been unpacking that. We've been talking about that. That genuine love and genuine peace and genuine faith only comes from God the Father. That our unity only comes from God the Father. And our love and truth, our love for the truth. So as he, in a sense, summarizes the whole book here in this, and really these last two verses... I want us to summarize Ephesians together by asking four questions. Four brief questions. Number one, what has God done? Number two, what must we do? Number three, what must we not do? And why has God done this? And in a sense, this is what we've been addressing all along and, and all year. And you might be able to answer those questions just simply asking them. What, number one, what has God done? What has God done? We, we can talk about that. We have talked about it. And what God has done, and what we've seen from Ephesians 1 through 3, is that we see God has united us in Him. That God has brought reconciliation between us and Him. First and foremost. There's, there's no unity, there's no other reconciliation, there's, there's no forgiveness, there's no mercy, there's no grace that we can have with one another, there's no peace with one another, there's no genuine love that will last with one another outside of the reconciliation that we have with God. That He has united us with Him. I'm calling this that He has united us vertically. He's united us vertically. And we see this just run throughout Ephesians 1 through 3. And particularly, it starts out how, how God uniquely has designed salvation and election. You, you, can't, you can't miss this. You, you, can't, you can't miss this. And then it's not used, once again, as a divisive thing to make us all mad, but it is to bring about praise to His glorious grace that God has always been working to bring about salvation to His people. Salvation is not something that is inherently a right that He owes us, but it is something He has given to us as a privilege, a Grace, as grace. And it's through, right? We, we can't separate the fact. And you go back, go back and look, Ephesians 1, 4, 5, we're going to read it in a minute, that it is in love, in love, a unique, particular love 
And He has chosen us. This is church. Adopted us into His, into his family. And this whole section there, which gives us such great, meaningful, deep theology, is really a doxology, a praise. It's like a song that we could sing in praising God for what He has done from the foundation of this world for undeserving, rebellious sinners. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God for His divine decree from the foundation of the world. His supremacy, His excellency shown in salvation. He unites us vertically. Something only He could do. There's nothing that we have done. Not in me. The song that we, we just sang. Not in me. There's nothing that I can bring. No amount of tears. No amount of righteousness. No amount of blessing God. No amount of serving God that can make me right with you. But it only comes through Christ. The perfect sacrifice that He has given to us. Jesus. So He unites us vertically. Second thing, He unites us in Him also horizontally. He unites us horizontally. We see here, in, in, in mostly in chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2, where, where we are brought near. Those who were once far off, God has, God has brought near. He has drawn near. And He uses the distinction between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. Two nationalities who, who, in a sense, didn't really like each other. Culturally different, were different in, in so many ways. And yet God has brought them together. And the reason why we have been brought together is because we have been reconciled vertically. And it overcomes everything that comes in its way. We talk about how it breaks down every dividing wall of hostility. That's the power of the, power of the gospel that he is now building together a people. That's what he's doing in us. He is building together in us a, a people in one spirit, in one mind, with, with one faith. And he gives us grace. He gives us grace in doing so. And this type of unity is only given to us because of grace. Think about just the differences between us this morning. We talked about that. The differences between us, where we come, culture, where we're all about. Most of, most of y'all are from Statesboro. Not everybody's from Statesboro. Even, from, even everybody from Statesboro or from the surrounding counties, you, you're still not the same. You have differences. You have cultural differences. And yet all of these are overcome by the power of the gospel. That's how we can unite and we can be in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. We can feel deeply for our brothers and sisters in Aleppo. That, by the way, did you see that magnificent picture of that church that gathered on Christmas morning in Aleppo in a, a destroyed church building? They still gathered to worship. It's amazing. Amazing. That was an amazing picture. But were you not? Because we all came from the, the same need. We all needed, needed grace. We all, we all needed grace. We all have all come across on the same playing field. We're all dead in our sins. Outside of Christ and outside of the, the gospel, we are dead in our sins. And only through God and by His grace and through Christ can we, can we be made alive. Can we be made right. So all of us, we, we bring to the table, all we bring into this room every single week is, is, is sin, brokenness, and hurt. And yet we know we're all in the same playing field that we need grace. And we've been reminded of that. God gives us faith. So then chapter 2, God gives us faith. By grace, we have been saved through faith. Not of ourselves, but by His work. We've been given grace. We've been given faith. Faith to believe. Faith is a gift. Faith is a, a gift of grace. It's not something that is built in us. It's not something that we have we're born with, but it's something we are given by a gift. It is a response of grace. And faith is to trust in that grace. So faith is a response, a trust in the grace of God. Amazing. So that answers our first question. What has God done 
Brothers and sisters, he has done something entirely unique and amazing and mysterious and beautiful. He has united us with him. So such such fathom, so hard to fathom, so hard to, to understand, so infinite. And yet this is what the Lord has done. He has united us with him. And in uniting us with him, he has united us together. That's what's amazing about the church. We're not perfect. We don't claim to be a perfect people. We don't need to be a perfect people. We don't need to. Our, our perfection isn't going to show the world Jesus. It's going to show our self-righteousness. When we show when we're open and, we're, and who we are, but if we trust in God's grace, that's what's going to show God's glory and God's kindness and God's goodness and the salvation that he's given to us in Christ. So what has he done? He has united us in him. Number two, what must we do? I need to speed it up here. What must we do? What must we do? Well, we've been talking about this over the last weeks. Ephesians 4, chapter 4 through 6, we live out our unity and we live out our identity in Christ. We take on, we believe, we embrace all these things that God has done and God has established and what God has decreed and what God has accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ, and we believe it and we put on. We take off and we, we, we put on. We live a life that is worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4. What is our calling? Our calling has been by His grace. We've just been talking about that. You see, what this book does, and why I think so many people hate chapter 1, and they don't like chapter 2 either, when it reveals about God's grace and God's saving power and God's election before the foundation world. People don't like that because grace obliterates the self. It obliterates it. It, it destroys your narcissistic tendencies, which we all have. We are all self-centered. You don't want to hear that. I, know that. I don't want to hear that. We are. We live for ourselves and we, we shape our lives and we bring in friendships and sometimes we even marry to meet those needs of ourselves. Or we, we live for ourselves and grace obliterates that. Grace obliterates it. And so living our lives out with worthy of our calling is living our lives in the face of God's grace. And this is pretty much what we've been preaching every week. Once again, like I started off, is, is grace says, stop looking at yourself and look to Him. You know, the Old Testament puts it like this, particularly in the Psalms and sometimes even in Job and things like that. It says, it says um, what does it say? Um, Fix your eyes or, or look upon Him, you sinners. Lift your eyes up, O oh sinners. Stop looking in the mirror. And look to Him. And, and that's what I meant in the, in, in the beginning when I was telling you that, that I, the, the tendencies of our culture is to say, now, get your life straight in all of these ways because it's the new year and somehow this year is going to be different, right? And what I'm telling you is the exact opposite. It's look to Him. Look to Christ who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Trust in His grace. Have faith in that grace and, his, and that past grace. Have uh, faith in this future grace. That He is sufficient enough to bring about the transformation in your life. To conform you into Christ's likeness. Stop looking at ourselves. Get your face out of the mirror and look to Him. And it is in this grace. It is in this grace when we live out our unity and how we respond to is that we have faith. We have faith and we believe it. Every morning. This is a fight every morning. This is a fight for me every morning. And every day. It's not just in the morning. It's, every, it's throughout the day. The fight for the faith, the trust in the promises of God. The trust that it is only in Him that, that brings about satisfaction. It's the only thing that will bring me real joy in this life and in this world. 
What else must we do is we must also bring about unity and build one another up. We saw that in chapter 4. We took off sins. We take on Christ. It says that we are put off sins, particularly anger, stealing, the way that we speak to one another. We practically we become imitators of God walking in love towards one another as children of, of God, imitators of God walking in love. You see how grace can do that? How grace enables that? How grace brings that out and, and bubbles that up in our lives? You see, a Christian that has a life that is lived that is inverted, meaning selfish, it is only by grace that, that you can be reoriented and retooled to not only no longer look to yourself, but now to be able to build one another up. It's what makes forgiveness possible and forgiving one another and to love one another genuinely. Forgiveness and is, is motivated and brought out by grace because we are driven by grace of what God has done. We make the most of every opportunity. We make the most of every opportunity. We seek unity by living and walking wisely. We're not to be foolish. Not to be foolish. Not to walk uh, 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 um, without discernment. But we walk wisely in discerning and understanding. We walk in His truth. Chapter 5, verse 18. Christians, we're not to be, we're not to be drunk with wine, but we're to be filled with the Spirit of God. We strive once again to build one another up by speaking hymns and spiritual songs and, and you build unity and so we worship together genuinely. That's why we encourage so much the, the singing. And even when there's few voices to sing, that we sing because it encourages one another with, with, with deep, rich lyrics that points one another to Christ and to Christ's likeness and to meaningful texts of Scripture. We make the most of every opportunity in our homes. We talked about that over these last two months or so. Submitting to one another out of reverence. And what we talked about over the last couple of weeks is that we stand to the end. All the imperatives, all these things, is all driven by grace. We stand to the end. Our perseverance is brought about by grace. And some of us get this. We've had trials. We have had difficulty in, in our life and we may not have had to stand very much in, in our lives, but, but those who have, you understand that when we have to stand in the midst of suffering and pain, that perseverance occurs because it's been given to us by grace. We stand by grace. What must we not do? Move quickly here is we don't partner with darkness. We don't partner in darkness. We don't walk in darkness. We don't, we don't walk in darkness. We put away sin and we, we walk in the light. This is taking on that identity of who we are. We expose darkness. We expose darkness in ours. We're not afraid. We don't, we don't hide things. Brothers and sisters, this, this, this year, if, you're, if you are hiding something, Hiding something from the Lord, number one, that's futile. That's a, that's a, a foolish errand. But if you're hiding it from your other brothers and sisters in Christ, expose the darkness in your hearts and your lives to one another. Confess your sins so that you may be healed. Right? James chapter 5. So that we can pray for one another and care for one another. Remember, we're walking in grace. We're all in the, the same need. And we're not going to be surprised. Sin is sin. Sin is darkness. Let's expose the darkness. Let's not tolerate darkness because we have been saved. And every, every amount of darkness that we're not exposing, by the way, is a, is a foothold for the enemy. It is a foothold for the enemy. And the last question I think has been flowing throughout the book, so I can't really point to some, so many different places, is why has God done this? That's the last question. Why has God done this? God has simply done this for the praise of His glorious grace. Why has God chosen you from the foundation of the world? So that you would be holy and blameless? Yes, He has done it in love, and He's done it by grace, and He's given us the faith to believe, and He's accomplished it 
through His Son, but underneath all of that is because of His glorious grace, to the praise of His glory, for His glory, so that we will magnify Him and so that others will magnify Him. He has done all of these things for His good pleasure. He has done all of these things for for His pleasure. And so God is to be glorified in our lives and how we live. God is to be glorified in the church. So when we will read in just a minute these these prayers, these doxologies in chapter 3 and and, and chapter 1, we'll see it just unearthed to us, bubble up once again, why God has done all of this. We should always ask that question, why? Sometimes it's good to be a skeptic. Ask why. Why has God done all this? To the praise of His glory. Your life is for to be to the praise of His glory. Everyone who has ever been born has always been created and made to the praise of His glory in one way or another. Even to the most wicked, to the praise of His glorious and yet we, as believers, we have a unique, a unique opportunity and chance to show His glorious grace to this world. He's created us to be this way. That's why it says we've, we've been predestined to be holy and blameless. To the praise of His glorious grace. And God is to be glorified in His, in his church. Glorified in, in, in us as His church because we've been redeemed and now we're living out that redemption. We display God and His, and His character to all the world. Imperfectly as it is, we display it. It's imperfect pictures all the time, but we show it. And God gets the glory. So this, 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 this whole book right here has been delivered by Tychius to the, to the church in Ephesus and now has been given to us for our encouragement. For our encouragement. So before we, 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 we just read it one last time, are we encouraged? Are we encouraged? Are we encouraged? I asked a question on there, and you, you don't have to come back up, but question number two says, do you love Jesus? That's a really simple question, and it seems really out of ordinary, but, but really, when we think about uh, the encouragement that has been taught to us throughout Ephesians, we should be really asking ourselves once again, do we really love Christ? Because that's what's happening here in verse 24. Grace be to you all who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Their love is shown. Their love is evident for Christ. And it is a love that is incorruptible. Do we, church, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? So think about that question as we, as we read Together, I've, I've called uh, upon a, a couple to, to read, and we're going we're gonna to read uh, each, each chapter, um, and, and one person per chapter. It'll be on the screen if you don't have uh, uh, the Bible, and, and they're going to read it for us. But I want us to pray just really quick, and then whoever the first one is, just come on forward and, um, and, and be behind the microphone. Maybe. It's tall enough and, uh, or short enough. And, and, and let's, let's read the, the, the book together. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that as we, um, as we read it, may it have its continued full effect as we finish this sermon series. Thank you for your grace and how you have been working in our, uh, th- through us um, and, and giving us much grace that we would be encouraged. So I pray this morning as we read that we would be encouraged with, with your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Chapter 1. Paul, 
apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in, the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, are, who, <clears throat> we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you with. Um, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable (laughs) greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one... To come, and he put all things under his feet and gave him a, as head over all things to the church, which his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh and divided the wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you, who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is the Gentiles, our fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father from every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, 
with which it is quit. When each party is when, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated for the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful work of works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there's no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, be boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all and love of our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.